Hey, good morning. My name is Brandon. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. And as he said, we've been in a series in the book of Matthew, where we look at the life and the teachings of Jesus. And this week we are toward the end of the gospel. And so let's get started. Uh, what is What is mission drift? Mission drift is when an organization either passively or actively drifts from their original purpose, their original why, their original this is why we're here. And Peter Greer, uh, in a book helpfully titled Mission Drift, uh, says that the root of mission drift is rarely uh, found in organizational structure, processes, etc. It's almost always found in uh, pride and the allure of success by those leading the organization. It says a mission drift, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens when those leading the organization are enticed by their own pride. And here's the point, uh, that in the Old Testament, God created a nation, the nation Israel. And within Israel, there was a temple. And the temple was the place where you were to come and offer sacrifice and worship to the God of Israel. Um, And over the centuries, the temple had gone uh, through and undergone a mission drift, Uh, They had lost their original why. They had lost their this is why we're here. And it's into this, this drifted temple, if you will, that Jesus walks. And so let's walk with him. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now here's the question. Uh, why is he so upset, right? You notice that Jesus didn't come in. There was no conversation. There was no, hey, Billy, man, how's life going? How's your marriage? How's your job? I hear you got that promotion. Like, how's life? He just walks in, starts flipping tables, and goes directly to the seats of those selling pigeons and flips their seats over. Why? I'll give you two reasons. One, uh, the layout of the temple went like this. Uh, at the heart of it was what was called the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt. And then from there, there was a, the area where the priest could go. And then from there, uh, the Israelite men. And from there, the Israelite women. And the outer edges, the first place you would walk through as you were making your way deeper and deeper into the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles. And what was happening uh, was that they had taken the Court of the Gentiles and turned it into a marketplace. And so it was bad enough uh, that these people who were supposed to be offering a spotless sacrifice uh, weren't bringing their own sacrifice. They were coming and purchasing a sacrifice. But rather than um, having the marketplace be set up outside the temple, they moved it into the temple. And when they did that, when they were set up inside the court of the Gentiles, it drove out, crowded out. It made it where the Gentiles could not come in to the one place where they were allowed to come and offer worship and sacrifice. Uh, they crowded them out. And then the second reason, the second reason, uh, as you know, so he, it says he went straight to the seats of those who sold pigeons. Pigeons were what you, what you bought and sacrificed if you were poor. So if you had money, uh, you had your standard sacrifice. Uh, but if you're poor and you couldn't afford the standard sacrifice, you bought a pigeon and you offered a pigeon. And every commentator I read um, said that this is what we think is happening. What we think is happening is this, that they took the marketplace from outside of the temple, moved it into the temple. When they moved it into the temple, uh, they started upcharging and exploiting the poor. And so Jesus is irate that this temple, this, this place where the outsider, the marginalized, those on the fringes of society, the poor, the the Gentile converts were supposed to come and offer worship, prayer, praise, sacrifice to their God, weren't able to do it. 
You want a picture of mission drift? Here it is. The temple. The temple. The, the temple. This, this structure that was erected that God would dwell with his people. And you'd come and offer prayer, sacrifice, praise to God. Has now so far drifted that the Gentiles weren't even allowed in. And so Jesus flips, but now he speaks. Verse 13. And by speak, I meant he speaks. So just to clarify. In case you're confused about what's about to happen. He said to them, it is written, my house, that's the temple, shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. A house of prayer, den of robbers, this is loaded language, right? You guys know what loaded language is. It's, it's when you have a word, a phrase, a statement that's got this significant connotation to it where it evokes images, right? So if I said to you the word Brexit, what do you think of? That's for you guys. What do you think of? You think of, I'll, I'll help you out. I know this is like nervous. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, Britain leaving the EU, right? If I say uh, the Great Depression, what do you think of? You think of the market crash of 1929. If I say to you deflate gate, what do you think? You think Tom Brady's a cheater. That's what you think. <laughs> He's also great. Uh, you know, greatest of all time, cheater. I don't know how to put those together. Um, I'll work it out one day. House of Prayer, uh, Dinner Robbers, these are loaded terms that come out of the Old Testament. House of Prayer straight out of Isaiah 56. You know what Isaiah 56 is all about? It's all about the nations being welcomed to the temple to come and offer their sacrifice and be acceptable to the God of Israel. To offer their prayer and praise to the God of Israel that the temple was always meant to be a place where the outsider was welcome. You, you want to convert and come worship the God of Israel? Come on. And table. The temple, it's open to you. And then there are robbers. You know where that's from? That's from Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7 is all about Israel. This harsh, direct, critical statement where God is saying, hey, Israel, you know what you're doing? You're stealing, murdering, worshiping other gods. And then you come to the temple. You offer your sacrifice as if I'm pleased with you. As if, I, as if what I want is you to live this life wholly apart from the commands of God and then show up, make yourself look pretty, tuck your shirt in, button it up, come to the temple, offer your sacrifice, and then go back to living the life you were living. As if what I want is your activity, your action, your moral performance apart from your heart being conformed to me. As if he's saying, like, you, you want... You want to show up every Sunday, every, you're in like nine parishes, you're doing everything that you're supposed to do, but your heart has nothing to do with me? You think I'm pleased with that? You think that's what I'm after? You think I'm creating a people to just go through the motions? He's saying you, you are no different than the people Jeremiah was rebuking. You were cleaning yourself up on the outside, but your heart was being offered to other God's and your greed, your greed, your greed in moving the marketplace into the temples, crowding out the worship of the nations. It was crowding out what was meant to be happening inside the temple. And so what was supposed to happen in the temple? Glad you asked. Jesus is going to answer right now. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. That's the 
That's the messianic term, son of David, son of David, the one that Israel had been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior's here. Children crying out, Hosanna, son of David. They, the chief priests and the scribes, were indignant. And they said to him, to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. So what's supposed to happen in the temple? Healing, praise, worship, delight, even out of the mouth of infants. The blind and the lame come and are healed. And again, we see, as we have seen over and over and over and over in the book of Matthew, Jesus' heart for the marginalized, Jesus' heart for the outsider, Jesus' heart for the man or woman pushed to the fringes, the blind, the lame, in our context, maybe the homeless, the refugee, those on the outer edges, we see his heart. And the leaders cry out, in the temple, indignant, enraged. Do you see what's happening? Why in the world would they be enraged? Because, hey, you blind, lame, coming to Jesus, being healed in here, children crying out, Hosanna, son of David. You know what's happening? You're creating a wall between us and the lucrative income we've created as we exploit people in the temple. I've got my cash coming in that I need, and you're getting in the way of it. You're creating barriers, not for them, but for me. As a side note, you want to know why we're so passionate about children being part of the everyday life of our neighborhood parishes? Here it is. Out of the mouth of babies did he prepare praise. And so because it was the posture of their hearts that led to mission drift in the temple, the posture of their heart was, hey, you outsider, you marginalized, you unwanted, you child, you are getting in the way, and so I'm going to crowd you out. And so as a side note, maybe a point of application for our little community here, um, when we crowd out the marginalized, when, when we crowd out the marginalized, when we say to the marginalized, hey, you're getting in the way of what I need, when we say even to our own children, hey, on Tuesday night when I get together with my parish, you're in the way. We're acting more like the religious leaders than Jesus. Rebuke for some of us, not all. But their posture of their hearts was one of crowding out, which led to mission drift in the temple. And so now Jesus is going to give an illustration, a word, picture of what was happening in and to the temple. Verse 17, and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Okay, let's pause real quick. Um, here's the thing about fig trees. Um, if there are leaves, there's fruit, right? They came in one right after another. And so if you have leaves, you have fruit. And so what he's saying is um, this tree, it's got the appearance of fruit, but there is no fruit. And so you might be asking, why a fig tree? This seems random, seems out of place. Why a fig tree? Well, here's why. In the Old Testament, often and commonly, a uh, fig tree was used to represent Israel. And so with this in their mind, with this in the, the disciples' mind as they're walking with Jesus down this road, let's keep reading. So seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he goes to it, only leaves, and he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, this is not a random story. 
This is not a random collection of events where Jesus is like, oh, guys, I'm so hungry, hang on. Um, I need something to eat. Oh, I'm so frustrated with that little tree right there because there's no fruit on it, and so I'm going to curse it, and I'm going to kill it. And Mark uh, recaps the same, the Gospel of Mark recaps the same story uh, from the temple to the fig tree, but Mark does a chronological reading of the events. Matthew ignores chronology. He takes the events, rearranges events, rearranges everything, and he's making a point. And here's the point Matthew is trying to make. Um, hey, you, you, you don't simply um, have a fig tree and a people, but you have a fig tree that represents the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. And so it's not simply that, that I'm illustrating a withered fig tree for not producing fruit, but I'm illustrating a withered temple for not producing fruit. It's why one commentator uh, that I found that puts these two stories together entitled it, The Withered Temple. The Withered Temple. Because the temple that gives the appearance of fruit, but after centuries of drifting, there was none. And what was the fruit that the temple was supposed to bear? The worship of the nations the delight of the nations. Why was there no fruit? Because greed had crowded out the space that worship was meant to be. Where worship was supposed to happen, where the Gentiles, the nations, the outside of the foreigner was supposed to come in and worship, greed and the peoples had crowded them out. And before we judge them too harshly, for whom in this room uh, would say, I have never had greed crowd worship out in my life? It's never happened to me. Like, I'm reading the story and I'm going, man, these guys are some really pegging dudes. That's not me. Greed has never affected me. I'm good, Brandon. The sermon's for somebody else. Here's the thing about greed. It's this intense and selfish desire for something, but it's subtle. It's subtle. It's sneaky. It takes on a lot of different forms. And so often we think of greed as, man, I, I've, I've got to have X amount or X amount or X amount or X amount of cash. But, but it takes on other forms, right? It takes on the forms of working seven days a week. I've, I've got to work, I've got to go, I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. I'm greedy for the approval of my coworkers and my bosses, so I've got to work. It takes on the form of excessive worry, being consumed uh, with our finances, being consumed with something that we can't control. It takes on the form of excessive savings. And I'm a fan of savings, I'm not anti-savings, I'm pro-savings, but if you give 3%, save 32%, we've got ourselves a problem. Amen or ouch, I don't know where you are. Excessive desire for pleasure. I think this is uh, one that might uh, really be an arrow into the heart of our little community. Uh, this excessive desire for pleasure, right? I, um, I, I'm living for the next adventure, the next trip, the next vacation, the next steak. I love the steak. I'm so fat. I love, I'm so grateful for the animal that we get to eat and put on the plate and call it a steak, but living for the next experience, the next restaurant, the next you name it. See, what, what greed is, it's just taking something often that's a good thing and having an inordinate desire for it, letting it consume and control us. And the root of this, well, the root of this is an overflow, misplaced worship, and trust. Right? I don't trust the Lord to care for me, so I'm going to care for myself. I don't actually trust that he cares about the minutia of my life, and so I'm going to trust it myself in the way that I'm going to trust myself. I mean, not trust myself. I'm going to take care of myself. So I'm going to give myself to these things that I think will give myself life and meaning and purpose. And to quote one of our staff members, Charlotte Garrett, this is what she said the other day, that greed is the currency with which we purchase and polish idols. I think she's right. 
And over time, this is what happens, that our soul begins to drift and drifts from God toward these idols. And as Israel ended up with a withered temple, we wake up one day with a withered soul, tired and exhausted, worn out. Fortunately for us, though, the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with a withered temple, and it doesn't end with a withered soul. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only say, you not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. So, the, the disciples, right, put themselves in their shoes. They see Jesus speak to this tree. The tree withers, um, and he, they say, naturally marveling at what just happened. How did this happen? And Jesus says to them, hey, listen, um, if you have faith and do not doubt, which, side note, uh, uh, faith is active, doubt is passive, right? If you actively believe, but you don't passively be led into doubt, drifting into doubt, you will do what I've just done. You will say to the fig tree. Now, here's the thing. Is Jesus speaking literally? Is he saying you'll be able to walk up to a tree, look the tree in the eye, uh, and say, I rebuke you, wither? No, I've tried it. It doesn't work. I became a Christian. I read this. I thought, here we go. I was wrong. In the context, remember that the fig tree is an illustration for the temple. What he's saying is you'll be able to cast the same judgment on the temple in Israel that I did, which is what we see in the book of Acts. But then he goes on and he says, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, you will do it. It will happen. And the way that Matthew writes this, the way that Jesus said it, the, uh, the original text, he's this emphatic, this mountain, saying to this mountain, if you say to this mountain, be taken up, be thrown into the sea, it's going to happen. It's not any mountain, it's this mountain, which is good news, right? Because speaking mountains into seas, also a challenge. But if you say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, it will happen. Now, what is he saying here? Uh, mountain and sea, this is also loaded language. That For the Jewish reader, the Jewish listener, this comes with a uh, connotation, some Old Testament background and baggage to it. And so I'm going to let um, Trimper Longman, a theologian, who I'm going to quote him on uh, mountains because I can't say it better than he did. This is what he said, that mountains and hills are, master image, are a master image of the Bible the place where humans encounter the divine. So he's saying that the mountain, this mountain, where the temple is, where God comes down and dwells and you come into the presence of God, you say to this mountain, this temple, be cast into the sea and it will happen. And then there's the sea that represents chaos, danger, and the nations. That throughout the Old Testament, uh, sea was representative of both chaos and danger, but it also represented the nations. One example, Jeremiah 51 says, Babylon, Babylon, one of the nations, became a horror among the nations, and the sea came upon her. So what he's saying, what he's saying is that you will cast this temple, this place where God dwells, this this mount, this mountain where the temple is right now, you will say to this one, be cast out into the sea, out among the nations, out into the chaos and into the danger, and it will happen. And, and, is this not what happened on the cross? Is this not what happened on the cross that Jesus, the place where God fully dwells, is cast out among the nations, 
for the nations. Is that not what the cross was all about? That if we trace temple from Old Testament to New Testament, here's what we find. We find the temple in the Old Testament with an arrow to Jesus. Jesus, the true temple, with an arrow to, to the church. Do so you not know that your the body is the temple? First Corinthians 6. And so when Jesus is on the cross and sin is being poured out on him, the wrath of God for you, for me, being poured out on him, you know what he became? He became a withered temple. So that three days later, and is resurrected from the grave, he become a restored temple so that you and I, the church, could live as the new temple. So how do we live as the new temple, the new place where God dwells and resides? Let's pick up 21, second half again in 22. But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, obviously verse 22 is one of those verses that's been abused over and over and over, right? It's been used to say, hey, listen, you want a new car, you just have faith. Like if, you, if you want a new car, you just believe, baby. You believe enough and it's there, it's yours. You're not happy with that accord? Pray and believe. Beamer's not enough? Pray and believe. You need a fourth story? Pray and believe. You want a yard? Pray and believe, and probably move, but pray and believe. Just pray and believe if you have enough faith. If your faith reaches high enough, it's going to be yours. It's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Well, every commentator I read kind of said, I don't exactly know. But here's what I do know. I do know that it's part of the illustration of what was happening to the temple. And so for us to interpret this, we have to interpret it in light of the illustration of the temple and in light of the church living out as the new temple what the original temple was meant to do. And so at its core, at its minimum, we know this. It, we, we know that it's saying that there is a spiritual power available to the church to be tapped into through prayer as you extend the gospel of the nations as you live as the true temple, the new temple out among the nations because what's the church? The church is the people cast out into the sea. The place where God dwells cast out among the nations and more practically, more immediate, our neighbors. Cast out among them to bear the fruit that the temple didn't. And so this brings us to a question. It brings us to what I think is a fairly important question. As one of your pastors, I, I rank this question fairly high in priority for us. Why does Sojourn exist? Right, so seven years ago, eight years ago, and this group of men sat around a table and said, hey, what if there was a new church in the city? And then, and then we came and started and we thought, hey, what if there's a new church that starts new churches? And then, and then we said, hey, what if, what if like, there became this sea of new churches throughout the city living and loving their neighbors? Why? What's the why? Why do we exist? Why are we here? The answer is quite simply to live out and do and to bear the fruit that the temple didn't as the new temple, to live and bear the fruit that the temple didn't. What's the fruit? The worship of the nations, the worship of our neighbors. And so if you're in this room right now and you're one of the neighbors, one of the neighbors, you, you need to know this about sojourn. You need to know that we're a place uh, where you can come and wrestle and search for God. We're, we're not a place where you have to have all the answers, have to have everything figured out. We're a place where you can come, step in, build friendships, get to know people, and learn together to follow Jesus, what it looks like to live the way of Jesus. 
or a safe place to come and search for God. But last week we said, hey, what, what if we did this? Like, what if we walked out of our front door, hang a right or a left, you pick, uh, and, or even across the street, and we, we walked over and we mustered up the courage and we didn't worry about rejection, although we all hate rejection, and we walked over and we knocked on our neighbor's door. And we said, hey, my name is Brandon. You pick your name, but we said, hey, my name is Brandon. Well, I'd love to have you for dinner sometime. Why do we, why do, we do that? Like, why, why does it... Why are we encouraging you and asking you, hey, go knock on your neighbor's door and invite him into your home? Why are we doing that? Here's why we're doing that. Because all around us, my townhome, little T driveway, all, all my neighbors, friends that I've made in the area, my, I was about to say my coworkers, but this is not true for my coworkers, for your coworkers, they're living life in the midst of the sea and the chaos and danger where their soul and the, the, uh, it is, fluctuates up and down based on the price of oil fluctuates up and down based on how their marriage is going, based, fluctuates up and down based on am I going to have a date for Valentine's Day, fluctuates up and down on are my kids um, athletic, are they smart, are they not, who are they, uh, fluctuates up and down based on is my home as good as my neighbor's, fluctuates up and down based on are, are my roommates getting along, am I accepted by the people I'm closest to, and when we go over and we say, hey, why don't you come to my house and have dinner? Here's what we're, we're praying. Here's what we're asking. Here's what we're hoping. We're hoping that they would step out of the sea and around your dinner table, they might climb with you that metaphorical mountain into the presence of God. And they might actually meet God at your dinner table. And then we say we're, we're passionate about multiplying these parishes, that, that we say there's these maps in the back, this map that's on the screen, that, that we say we, we are committed to blanketing that map with these neighborhood parishes and these homes, these smaller communities of the church is family. Why? Is it because we want to have, just have blue maps? No, we're not after blue maps. Here's what we're after. We're after communities of men and women who have enough relational space that our neighbors might step in and get to explore and see this new temple in action, get to see what it looks like for God to dwell among a people, and they might, they might no longer have their life fluctuate up and down based on the price of oil, but, but become the steady stream of grace and joy because of the gospel of Christ. They might experience life on the mountain, if you will, and why do we plant churches? Why, why do we give so much of our money to starting new sojourn congregations? And why do we give so much of our money to, to Italy and to, uh, to Houston Church Planting Network? Why? So there can be these new churches, these new temples, if you will, these new places where God dwells and they can say to their neighbors, their, their Italian neighbors, for those who were here a couple weeks ago with uh, the, the McGinn's, to their Italian neighbors, this place where um, the, the Reformation never made it over the mountain is what they say. Why? So that their neighbors might climb out of the sea and climb up the mountain and come into the presence of God inside the church. That's why we say often things like that, that the church is not a building. This is our building. It's 608 Aurora. It's lights. It's concrete and whatever the walls are made of. That's why we say the church is a people where God dwells. He doesn't inhabit physical structures. He inhabits hearts of men and women. We want our neighbors to come and see God experience and inhabit their heart as they've tasted and seen that God is good in us. And so our, our prayer is this. Our prayer is that we at Sojourn would never, 
would never walk and be led into mission drift, that we would never go down the road of waking up and abandoning our original why, our original purpose, because what's our original purpose? Our original purpose is to bear the fruit that the temple didn't, to bear the fruit that is the worship of our neighbors. Listen, our forms and structures and methods, that might change over the years. We're not married to method and structure. We're married to a why, to a purpose. And the purpose is that we would bear the fruit that the temple didn't. May our story be this. May our story be that of a community uh, who in our lifetime doesn't experience mission drift. And because of that, our neighbors might step out of the sea, climb the mountain, and come into the presence of God with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son into the world to, to die in our place. Thank you that he, on the cross, uh, stepped out into the sea that we might get to experience the mountain. I pray that our neighbors, through us, through our friends, um, through our little parish communities, through our little sojourn community, would get to see and experience and taste and know that there is a God and he dwells near them and they are welcome to him. And I ask that because we know that Jesus and believe that Jesus is worthy of their worship. May we hold fast and be held tight. And may mission drift never be our story. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.